Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Good to see y'all. Uh, hard to believe, but we are in the last Sunday of July, which means that, you know, summer is nearing its end. It's hard to kind of wrap your minds around that, I think, but it's, it's here, you know, and so fall is, is coming, which is a good thing. I like fall. I enjoy it. And, uh, it's, I, I know uh, some of you are, are visiting with us, and maybe this is your first time. We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are nearing the end, okay? And so, you know, take a deep breath. We're, we're almost there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting verse 12, and uh, we're going to go to 34 today. So it's gonna, we're going to be uh, in the Word a lot today, but that's not a bad thing. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my very hardest uh, to not prolong this message, but I think it's important. I talked about this last week. Chapter 15 is vitally important to our faith and our understanding of, of who Jesus was and what he accomplished and how he accomplished it and how that affects our lives today and throughout all of eternity. So um, let's, let's go to the war, the our Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into the text. Father God, thank you so much for the day. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together in this place and to worship you. Lord, I, I know that you're here. I know that you're our, an unseen guest here with us today. So if you would, Lord, just continue to speak to us, continue to give us this opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the, the many different elements of worship that we've experienced here today. The songs that have been sung, the, the prayers that have been lifted up, the, the, uh, the gifts that have been given. Father, and now as we come to your word, I pray, Lord, that we would hear a message from you, that you would speak to us in a mighty way, that you would allow for us to hear from you, to know, Lord, that you are speaking directly to us. I recognize, Lord, that I have a part in this. So if you would, Lord, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that brings honor and glory to your name, in a way that brings sinners to repentance and believers into a time of renewal and their relationship with you. Lord, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and Lord, I pray that today would be that day where they admit that they are a sinner believe that Jesus is the Son of God and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. And if there's a, a believer that's here today that maybe that's struggling or going through hardships or, or just uh, struggling in their faith, tired and weary, questioning, Father, I pray that today that you would meet them where they're at. That you would allow for them to have this moment right here, right now, to be near you. To know that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are loving, that you're forgiving, full of mercy. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for all that you did on the cross of Calvary. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. The ninth president of the United States was William Henry Harrison. Uh, 
he, he died like a month into his office, his, his term. Uh, he was the first governor of the Indiana Territory. And uh, he, he founded Vincennes University in Vincennes, Indiana. He, he founded a, a church, Calvary, uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Indiana as well. He, he, was a, he was known for his negotiations with the Native Americans. And um, he, would, he would have these meetings and they would try to barter with them to get land. And, uh, you know, he was responsible for acquiring over 51 million acres of land in the United States. At one time, he was uh, met with force by 400 Native American warriors. Chief Tecumseh floated down the Tippecanoe and the Wabash River all the way to Vincennes, Indiana, and met him. And they were mad at his negotiation and his tactics and what he was trying to accomplish. And Tecumseh actually wanted to kill William Henry Harrison. And uh, there was a guy there named Chief Winnemac of the Winnemac tribe, and he was a friend of Governor Harrison, and he was a key person in getting that situation to be calm. Now, just a little bit of information about me. I went to two different high schools in Indiana. One was William Henry Harrison, and the other one was Winnemac. My kids weren't impressed with that either, Joe, so. (laughs) But when Harrison became the president of the United States, when he was elected president, there was a lot of people that really believed that that he was kind of just like a, he wasn't very strong, he wasn't very tough. Um, And so he wanted to prove them wrong. So when he was elected, he, in his inaugural address, he gave an inaugural speech that was two hours long. Two hours. I might speak for 30 minutes, and some of you think that's too long. I'm sorry. But like, like I just, like two, I, and that day that he gave that speech, it was cold. It was wet. It was raining. He didn't wear a, a jacket. Didn't wear a hat. Again, he wanted to prove that he was tough. Got sick. And then every day he would get up in the morning and he would take a walk, and, and sometimes he would get caught in a rainstorm, and he would have a, no, no hat, no jacket, and he would come back, and he would be soaking wet, and you know what he would do? He wouldn't change his clothes, and so he got sick, and you know what happened? He got pneumonia and died. <laughs> like, I mean, that's hard to laugh. I shouldn't laugh at that, right? I mean, but like, <laughs> but that's why, I mean, you know, you just can't, I mean, Part of me thinks, what, what would happen if, you know, if he didn't wear that, if he didn't wear his clothes too long, what clothes, if he would have wore a hat, if he would have wore a jacket, if he would have not had this complex. I mean, there's a lot of, if this, then what would have happened, right? Life is full of if, ifs and thens, if what. You know, if I, if I would have, what would have happened if I would have, Never moved to Missouri. What would have happened if I never took that job? What would have happened if I never went to that school? What would have happened if I never took that vacation to Milledgeville? 
What would happen if... In today's passage of Scripture, there are, there are two parts. Part one of this text is from 11... I'm sorry, it's from 12 to 19. And it's Paul answering the question, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then what? If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then what? What if Jesus was a great teacher, but he didn't rise from the grave? What if Jesus was just a good man? What if Jesus was a, a miracle worker? What if Jesus was sinless? What if, it, if he was just perfect, but he never got out of that tomb? What are the ramifications? Paul tells us what those ramifications are in today's passage of Scripture. The second part of this text is just the opposite. What are the ramifications? Because Jesus did rise from the grave. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. N.T. Wright, a New Testament theologian, he often talks about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that is the cornerstone of our faith. And let me just tell you, friends, like there isn't a New Testament scholar worth their salt if they deny the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It truly is like if that didn't happen, then nothing else really matters. And Paul preaches that today. He talks about the importance of the resurrection today and how it is vital for our understanding of who Christ is and our understanding of our relationship with God. And without it, friends, we are in deep trouble. And Paul talks about the severity of that <laughs> trouble today. When I was in Ecuador in 2020, we went to a church that had Jesus in a casket. His eyes were closed. And they, the people that would go to this church, they would, they would worship this idol that was there. Friends, we don't worship a, a God that is in a casket. <laughs> He's arrived. Jesus Christ is, I mean, this message could be an Easter message, friends. It, Jesus Christ, the God that we worship, the Christ, the Savior that we have, He is alive. He's not in a casket. He's not in a tomb. He has been resurrected from the grave. From the, from the, from the very beginning of Christianity, at, Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Peter, Peter, Peter preaches on the Pentecost that God raised Jesus from the dead. This is key, elemental, theological understanding of who our Savior is, that Christ has, in fact, risen. Common thought at this time was that the body was, wasn't just evil, but rather was the source of evil. It was the source of evil. And they denied the resurrection of the dead, including Jesus, friends. A common Gnostic thought was that the body was the source of evil. And so even for Jesus, his body was the source of evil. And there, there's no way that God would uh, allow for that to happen. So Paul, of course, is countering this argument. 14 to 19 Paul gives six, if then. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. First, minus the resurrection, our preaching is without value. 
Friends, you can almost just, let me, let me rephrase that. If you are the most eloquent preacher, or if you have the most eloquent preacher, it will not matter. I mean, just think about the most eloquent preacher that you, I know it's not me, okay, so don't. But like, let's just think about this for a second. I mean, like I, I think about W.A. Criswell. I mean, Criswell was a man who did not waste a single, I mean, you listen to his sermons, he did not waste words, okay? And there, even if every word was in place, the Billy Grahams, the John Pipers, the Tony Evans, those men who proclaim the word of God just so perfectly. I mean, they just use every, they use the right tense. They re, I mean, everything is just there. The theology is sound. But if Christ has not been risen from the grave, those words are worthless. It's in vain. Remember last week we talked about this word in vain. It meant worthless. Here again, we see that our preaching without the resurrection is in fact worthless. And Paul goes on to say that not only that our preaching is in vain, not only is our preaching worthless, but rather our faith, your faith, is in vain. Secondly, Paul goes on to teach that without an empty tomb, our faith is in vain. You ever met a person's faith that's vibrant, eloquent, real, they're emphatic, Paul says that the person whose faith is genuine, who's faithful, who's true, who's an example to all, who, who loves the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, that if they have a genuine faith, but the resurrection did not happen, it's worthless. It's worthless. Third, verse 15, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. We're being false witnesses, Paul says. This is one of the Ten Commandments that we're breaking. Followers of God are to tell the truth about God. They are to, they're not to lie about God. They are to bear witness of who he is and what his character portrays. And if God did not raise Jesus from the dead, then we are liars, friends, and we are lying about who God is. Our integrity is at stake. If we're lying about this, then we're lying about other things. What, what else are we telling the What else are we lying about? Paul says, listen, if Christ did not rise from the grave, we are liars. I know we're halfway through this uh, first part of the passage of Scripture, but it does, it's not very encouraging, is it? And the reality is it's not going to get any more encouraging as we go. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Fourth, without an empty tomb... Our faith is futile. We still are cursed by our sins. The 
Again, the thought was that the body was the source of evil. And if Christ's body was evil, then it was not raised. And if not raised, then we have not been forgiven of our sin. The highlight of my faith, I'm not sure about y'all, is the forgiveness of sin. Is that I don't live anymore as a sinner, but as a saint. That Christ has washed away my sin, that he's cleansed me of the unrighteousness that is in my life, and he's given me a new name. A name that I haven't earned, a name that I don't deserve, but rather a name that has been given to me by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ rising from the grave, then guess what, friends? We are still sinners. We are still, like, God did not accept that atoning sacrifice. Remember last week we talked about the the fundamentals of our faith, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ? It means nothing. If Christ was not risen from the grave, God did not accept that sacrifice. And we are still in our sins. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, or so far as our transgressions are from us. I can't imagine a life, friends. Cannot imagine a life where my sins are not forgiven. I mean, I, I can be pretty anxious at times, but I can't imagine living with that amount of anxiety in my own life. Knowing that judgment is coming, knowing that there are consequences to my actions, knowing that no matter what I do, no matter what my faith is, Condemnation is coming. Friends, I don't want what I deserve. I know what I deserve. (laughs) On that day, I want grace and mercy. I'm not sure about you, but not judgment. Without the resurrection, friends, we will receive judgment. Five. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Without an empty tomb, the dead are lost forever. Paul is saying that those who have died were not saved. I'm not sure about you, but I look forward to the opportunity to be united with family, with friends, with loved ones that have put their faith in Jesus Christ and are with our Savior today, that are worshiping him in spirit and truth. And one day, friends, I, 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 I can't wait to meet him to see them, to thank them for what they've done for me. Without the resurrection, friends, our family, our friends are lost. There is no salvation for them. Their faith was in vain, remember? Sixth, finally, if in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Believers are to be pitied. The word pity means that you are, are thought of as a fool. It's used only two times in Scripture, friends. The only other time is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, 
and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's exactly like the person. <laughs> I mean, if, we, if, if Christ has not risen from the grave, then we are just like the rich, the rich young ruler. The, the, in Revelation chapter 3, the rich person there that put their faith in the wrong thing. I mean, remember the rich young ruler, they, they walked away from Christ because Christ had asked them, go and sell everything that you have. He walked away from his faith, put his hope in the wrong thing. And if Christ hasn't risen from, we're foolish. We're like that young man who's put his faith in the wrong thing. We're wasting our lives. What are you doing here? Why are you giving of your money? Why are you giving of your time? Why are you waking up on Sunday morning instead of not sleeping in or going? Why are you singing these songs? Why are you loving your neighbor? Why are you being kind? Why aren't you deceitful? Why aren't you a liar? Greedy. If you put your faith in Jesus, but Christ wasn't raised, then you're a fool. You staked your life on the wrong thing, but but verse 20, our Savior is alive. In the second half of this text, Paul discusses the implications of a risen Savior. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep because he is arisen. Because Christ has risen from the grave, he is the first fruits of the coming harvest. Christ is the first of many to leave the tomb, friends. He is the first of many to leave the tomb. Our bodies will be resurrected. The first fruit from the harvest will always be given. It's always to be given of God. So when a, a farmer harvests their crops, they were to give of the first fruits of their harvest, whether that's barley or wheat, whatever it may be, they were to give of the, their first fruits of that harvest. To sh- this is a symbol. It's all it was to say, everything that I have, belongs to God. And Jesus was to be the first of many. Because Christ has risen, for as a man came death, by a man has also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Because he has risen, Christ overcame death. Friends, since the fall, all men have died as a result of their sin. They've inherited this sinful nature from Adam, and because of that, death is the result. Friends, death is not the the intentions of God. It is a result of man's sinfulness, and we are all sinners. We all deserve it, not just because of what Adam did, but because of what we have done. What Paul is saying here is that because Christ has risen from the grave, he defeated death. It's just the opposite of what Adam did for all of us, right? We inherited this sinful nature. 
because of Adam's sin, but because what Christ has done, because Christ has resurrected from the grave, we also, as believers in Jesus Christ, will also be resurrected from the grave. Matter of fact, everybody's going to be resurrected from the grave, friends. The matter is, is where you're going after you are. Some people think that everybody's going to be saved. And that's what Paul is saying here, that all will be made alive. That's not what Paul is teaching. All will be resurrected. Some will receive judgment. Some will receive eternal life. It's only through Jesus Christ, friends, that we receive eternal life with God. For those who deny the faith, who deny Jesus, deny his resurrection, they will receive eternal damnation. Verse 23, because in each, but in each his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Because Christ has risen, the resurrection is divided in two parts, the resurrection of Christ and then the resurrection of others. Let me, get, let me, let me continue reading on here. Let me, I think it will help us understand this a little bit better. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now, because Jesus rose from the grave, death will be overcome by the resurrection, and all will be subject to God, the creator of all. All. No one will be escaping that. Everybody. First, Jesus rose from the grave, then others. When Christ returns, those who are still on the earth will be resurrected with him. And every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Friends, let me just say this. Uh, We're going to get into this a little bit here in a few weeks. You know, end times is always an interesting conversation, and everybody wants to, to know the answers. But just, just know this about the end times. The church has accepted four different orthodox views of the end times. And so what, what that means is that there are four different ways that you can understand it that contradict one another. And so one view says this, one view says that. One view says this way, and then the last one says something completely different. And the church has said, that's correct, that's correct, that's correct, and that's correct. And you know what? We don't know which way is correct. We just, I mean, there, there are definitely some ways that most people lean. And, some, and other people are like, no, that's, that's crazy to think that way, and, and you're, you're wrong, and, and I'm right. And let me just say this. I, I don't know when it's going to happen. 
I don't know how it's going to happen. I have a theory, a way that I lean, and you'll learn about that another day. But let me say this. The point of this text isn't to tell you this is how it's going to happen or this is when it's going to happen. The point of this text is the point of this text is that it's going to happen. That one day Christ will return. And when that day happens, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that includes you. And that includes everybody else, friends. Verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if I, humanly speaking, I have fought with the beasts of Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Because Christ has risen from the grave, lastly, we can face all danger without fear. For if we die, we shall live again. According to our deeds, we must be careful, though, how we live. We must be careful with the decisions that we make, the choices that we make, the direction that we who we hang out with. Friends, if, we, if you face danger today, what if, what if we do? Then what? What if we're persecuted because of our faith? Then what? What if we die because of our faith? What if we are judged for our actions? What if... What if one day we look up and the sky cracks and our Lord returns? What then? Friends, the thing about this life is we never know what's going to happen next. You know? This week, I, uh, on Thursday morning, I came into the office and I got a phone call uh, from one of our church members saying that a, a, another church member was taken to the ER. They weren't breathing. I got a, a, a text late last night from a member of our church saying that their grandson was involved in an automobile accident. You know, the things about accidents and, and life is we, we just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what, what's next. You know, we, we have plans and we have expectations and dreams and goals. And, and yet, what if something else happens? Then what? What if God has another plan 
for you. Then what? What are you going to do? When God reveals himself to you and says, come and follow me. Lay down your life and follow me. What then? What will you do? When you're faced with hardships, with difficulty, persecution, what then? Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to this earth, for the life that he lived, for the death that he endured. We thank you that you accepted his sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that he didn't stay in a tomb, but rather that he rose from the grave and that he's alive today. Father, I know what you've done for me, that you've saved me of my sin, and I thank you for that. I know that I'm not perfect, Lord, and I know that I make mistakes, and there are times when faced with hardships, I, I don't always do the right thing. But I thank you that your grace prevails, that your forgiveness is not based on conditions, but rather based on what Jesus has done for me. Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here today that is living in sin, I pray, Lord, that today they would experience forgiveness in a way that they have never experienced before. Father, I pray that you would allow for them to know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is alive. That he has saved them. Father, I pray that you would give us this opportunity to respond. The believers that are in this room, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us and allow for us to know your will for our life. Father, I pray that we respond with obedience. Father, I pray that we would not be concerned about what's going to happen next, but rather concerned about being faithful to you. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you. I pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said.